as we look at our text, um, I, I pointed out this morning, and I'll point it out again in case maybe you were in Sunday school uh, teaching a class, but Moses was raised in just about a, a, as wicked of a day as you can get. Uh, Egypt had made a law about aborting all the Jewish male babies. When they're born and they come out and they find out that they were a male, uh, the, the Egyptians had said, hey, I want you to kill them. Uh, we don't want them growing up. We don't want your nation overpowering our nation. And uh, he was, and, and you're talking about a, a very wicked mandate. I mean, if you think about that, I just put yourself in that position and think about it, uh, that, that you were there. Sometimes we read through these and we're removed from them. But if you think about it and say, man, what if that was me? What if I was put in that position? What if I was sitting there and what if I lived in Egypt and I was a Jew at that time and, and I was told that when my child was born and it was a boy to go ahead and kill it? Uh, you're talking about a very wicked, uh, wicked environment. And then at a young age, think about this. I, I really, I don't know what to make of this, but I'll throw it out there because it's kind of interesting. There were at least two children in the Bible that, uh, that were born and they were raised for a very short time, really until they were done nursing and then they were given away. One is Moses and, uh, and I love the story that we read this morning. His sister was watching and, uh, and as Pharaoh's daughter discovered, oh, this is an Egyptian boy. And, and his sister goes and says, uh, and kind of is just standing there. And, and she says, well, would you like for me to call a nurse for you? And Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter says, well, yes, if you would do that. And, and Moses goes right back to his mother and she gets paid for it. And what a blessing. What a, what a great, uh, great blessing in all reality that here she is uh, to, to really raise her child. I, I don't know, they say from three years, they nurse up to three years, sometimes up to five. I don't know exactly how long uh, they would do that. But I'm saying she got to spend a whole lot more time with her child. And, and, uh, and then she had to give him back. I mean, it was not her choice. She didn't like it. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but, but she was kind of stuck in a bind, and she turned him over uh, to Pharaoh's daughter. And if I could say it this way, for all practical purposes, Moses was raised in a very worldly environment. But yet he turned out to be a great, mighty man of God. Um, and, and I think that's interesting. The other child that was, uh, was raised until he was done nursing was Samuel. Remember that Hannah prayed uh, for a child and God gave her a child. And a after she had uh, finished raising it and nursing it, and she took it back to the temple and she turned it over to Eli the priest. And he was raised in a very godly environment. Well, he was raised in the temple. I'll say it that way. Um, <laughs> Maybe I, I recant that last statement, but uh, I don't know that it was really godly because Eli's sons were wicked. They really were. Uh, but yet, uh, nonetheless, uh, Samuel was a very powerful man of God throughout the Bible. And I just find that interesting. I don't know really what to make of it, but I just say this, uh, that uh, certainly Moses, while he was growing up in that worldly environment, there's no doubt about it. He was taught about all the riches and, and really living and depending upon the riches of the world. Uh, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, just a little few verses down, that he chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And he goes on and it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. 
I mean, you imagine, here's Moses being raised in Pharaoh's house, and, and man, I'm, I'm just assuming that, that Moses had servants as a child growing up. And, uh, and here his family is suffering as slaves in Egypt. And, and if he grows up in that very worldly environment, but yet uh, clearly he, was la- he, he lacked or was concerned because he didn't have the communion with God uh, that his real family truly experienced. I'm sure he saw the, uh, the, that something was missing there in Pharaoh's house and in Egypt. And as I mentioned this morning, that families are certainly under attack and the, the, uh, the world seeks to destroy the idea of a family uh, the way that God established it. And really, they seek to redefine what family is. And, and, uh, and so there's a great war against that. And we need to guard against that. And I believe that uh, Christian families are so important. So important. And so we'll look at this this evening and just see the family of faith. By the way, when I was really studying this, and uh, again, uh, Moses' parents' name, his dad was Amram, and his mom was Jochbed, and they're not mentioned here. And I think Amram might have been mentioned in in Exodus, I don't recall now. But uh, they're really not mentioned. Matter of fact, you have to go to Numbers uh, to even find their names recorded. And so they're really uh, uh, characters that are not talked about a lot in the Bible, but I believe they're significant and they're important. And I I started tracing down the family and I started tracing down uh, that Miriam was the oldest sister. She would have been the one that was standing there when Moses was in the bulrushes. She was the eldest one. And then uh, I think Moses may have been next. It might have been Aaron. I don't recall. I don't know exactly how the, 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 the lineage goes, uh, but I do know it was Miriam, Moses, and Aaron. By the way, all three of those children, uh, Miriam was one of the ones that were singing the, the praises to God after they crossed the Red Sea. She was, uh, she was praising the Lord with song. Moses, a mighty man of God that re- led the nation of Israel out of Egypt and across the desert and barren land. And then Aaron uh, was the head of the Levite And so you're talking about a family that was certainly grounded in God and grounded in the things of God. And I just found that very interesting as I put all of that together. I had not conscientiously recognized that before. And so I just want to point that out, that this family is a phenomenal family in the Word of God in all reality. Not a perfect family. You could go back and you'll find their flaws. There's no doubt about it. Moses was not a perfect man. Aaron was not a perfect man. Miriam was not a perfect lady. Uh, But their family that served God without doubt. And as we look here in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 23, the Bible says this. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. In other words, uh, that by faith is completely applied to the parents of Moses. And the very first thing that I wanted to notice in our text is the presence of faith in this family. The very presence of faith in this family. I want to distinguish something and uh, I want to try and help us understand and, uh, this little, little concept. Uh, and that is maybe a difference between at least partial belief and what is faith. And I looked up that word belief, 
And, uh, and, and you can go too far with, with splitting hairs on, on words. I, I understand that. But I think there's at least something here that we can get from this. Uh, the, the dictionary defines belief as this. Assent to a proposition or affirmation or the acceptance of a fact, opinion, or assertion as real or true without immediate personal knowledge, reliance upon uh, word or testimony, partial or full assurance without positive knowledge or absolute certainty. And here's what I'm driving at. That first definition is how much of the world perceives God. If you run around and you ask people, do you believe in God? The, major, the vast majority of the people that you run into will say, well, yes, I believe in there is a God. Now, what they believe about God will probably be very varied from every end of the spectrum uh, that you could imagine, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, but many of them believe that there is a God. But the difference that I want us to notice and the difference that, that between your belief and the fact that I would go further and say your faith and their belief is that your faith makes you come to church tonight. It's something that changes your life. People who believe in God many times are not the people that are in church even every Sunday. Many times those people may only go on Christmas or Easter or may not go for years until there's a funeral or a wedding and that's really the only time they'll attend a church or any kind of service of any sorts, but yet they'll tell you, I believe in God. But their belief is, is, is far separated from an actual faith that exists within their, their being. You understand where I'm driving at? And so there's, there's a difference between just believing something and yet having a faith that's going to cause you to act upon what you believe. There's a little bit of a distinction, and I know I'm splitting hairs this evening, but I do want us to understand that this faith that they had, that Jochbed, Aram, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam had, was not just a faith of saying, well, I believe that there is a God. But it was a faith that caused them to live their life differently than the rest of the world around them. That's what I'm getting at this evening. There was a presence of faith in their life that said, hey, we believe and therefore we are going to live our life differently. I would define faith as this. I love faith, uh, the, to define faith this way. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1, I was always taught this is the definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, uh, you're hoping for something, but you have no evidence that that is going to come forth. None of us in this room tonight, not one of us, have ever seen God. Not one of us witnessed Jesus Christ dying on the cross. We were not there. Not one of us witnessed Jesus Christ raising from the dead. We were not there. There is no evidence physical before our eyes as far as witnessing it that, that says, hey, we were there. But we do have faith in the Word of God that tells us 
that, hey, God loves us and that Jesus Christ did die on the cross and that Jesus Christ did raise from the dead. And because he saved me, I want to serve him and I want to please him and I want to live for him. And that's where my faith makes a difference in how I live my life. You understand what I'm saying? And that's where this their faith made a difference in their life. They were recorded in the book of Hebrews, the hall of faith, you could call it, and it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. I'm glad for faith. And I'm glad that faith makes a difference. Hey, listen, there's those who say that there is a God, but then there's those who live like there is a God. And the Bible says in James 2.18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And what he's simply trying to clarify is just that, that if we have real faith, hey, it's going to be, be displayed within our life and the way we live. And so I believe the faith that they had was present. It was a present faith. It was something that was visible for other people to see. And we can see the presence of of their faith. And I love the way this is attributed. The Bible says here in verse 23, of his parents. And so we see that their faith was displayed. Can I tell you, your faith is displayed during trying times. That's when it's displayed. You look at their pressing times that they lived in. And and there was a law, hey, kill your child. And their faith said, we are not doing that. We are not doing that at our own peril. We are not doing that at our own risk. We are not doing that because we believe that there is a God. And I love the fact that Exodus really points down to that it was Jochebed, that she was one that was doing a lot of the work. But I love that Hebrews points out because of his parents that there was a united front there, that they both were on board with this. They both were saying, hey, we need to save our child. We're not giving him up. We're not allowing him to die. We're not bowing to the king of Egypt. We are going to obey God and his word in this matter. So we find that their faith was very present. Not only is faith displayed in trying times, but, uh, but I believe, that, listen, their faith was displayed uh, in, in what they did with their actions there. And what a wonderful example that they have in the presence of their faith. Not only is there the presence of their faith, but I want you to notice this as well. It's the partnership of their faith. And I kind of alluded to this, that it was his parents, that they were working together. I already mentioned Exodus chapter 2 very clearly shows that Jochebed was the one that was working to hide her son, and she was the one that was hands-on and involved. But, uh, but And let me say this, that there's nothing wrong uh, with the wife being a keeper of the home and the man going to work. It's a biblical model that is exemplified over and over in Scripture. And I know it's not popular today, but it is Scripture. And a woman can work outside of the home, but her first priority is the home. The Bible says this in Titus 2.3. Uh, you can go over there. Go with me to Titus. We're real close. Save your spot there in Hebrews as we'll be back. Titus chapter number 2. All the T books, Timothy, Thessalonians, and Titus are right before Hebrews. Um, Titus chapter number 2 and verse number 3. 
And he's giving a model for teaching. And, and, he, and he starts in verse number one and uh, talking about sound doctrine. And in verse number two, he talks about the aged man teaching. And then in verse number three, we'll pick it up. Uh, Titus chapter number two in verse number three, it says, The aged woman, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, Boy, that needs taught today. You talk about something that is missed. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, in the last days that they'll be without natural affection. Well, I, I, I don't know, but I look around and I see it quite frankly uh, regularly that, that parents don't love their children. There's a lack of that natural affection and, and almost it has to be taught. And the Bible's giving us the model that the aged women are to teach the younger women to love their children. Go on in verse number five. To be discreet, chaste. Look at this phrase, keepers at home good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And I'm just telling you, that's the Bible model that is portrayed and given. And I'm very aware that it is not, uh, it is not popular in 2022, but that's Bible. And I'm just telling you, that's what the Word of God says. And we see that even modeled out here in Hebrews chapter number 11, that they were unified and that they both wanted to preserve Moses. But the fact of the matter was, uh, Aram had to go off to work. He had to make brick uh, because the, the Egyptians required it. So she would have been at home, but she was busy hiding her child, and, uh, and they were united in that front. Can I tell you something? It is a beautiful thing when there is a partnership in faith. That's what God designed. That's what God wants. And, uh, and I, I encourage, hey, listen, don't marry somebody that's not saved. Marry somebody that's saved. Of like faith. Why? Because, listen, it is a beautiful thing to have a partnership in faith. And Jochbed and Aram had a partnership in faith. Go with me to one other passage. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. I love this passage. It's, we quote it. We quote the last verse that I'm going to end on, but there's really so much there. I, I was going to give you the last verse, but I went back and reread it, and I thought, boy, we got to we got to see it all. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4 and verse number 9. And it tells us why two are better, why a partnership in faith is so good. The Bible says here in verse number 9, Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, verse number 9, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he, that, uh, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Verse number 12, if, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And listen, what he's saying is, hey, you work together, and when you're working together, boy, it's so much harder to be broken. It, you say a three-cord fold, we say the husband, the wife, and God. Boy, you put those three together, and that is a powerful, powerful, 
combination going forward. There was a partnership that was there in faith. And listen, I understand that sometimes things get messed up. Sin and Satan have a way of messing things up. But I'm just going to tell you that, hey, you know what? God can help you. And if your life is, is, has fallen into that, uh, that sector, and all of our lives have fallen into that sector of being messed up, by the way, some, some a little, uh, maybe more than others or, or, or other things, but I'm just saying God has a way of helping. And I'm saying this, when I pointed out that Moses was pushed into the world, he certainly was, but hey, you know what? I think it was probably the prayers of his mother. Maybe it was the letters. Maybe it was the communication. Maybe she'd go by and visit. Maybe she offered to be a a servant in that house. I don't know what all took place, but I know this, that hey, Moses turned out to be quite a man of God. And so uh, there is hope and there is uh, the possibilities that even though sin will mess up things in our world and sin will mess up family units, but I am saying don't lose hope because there is God that is able to do things that we're not able to do. And how many a family, how many a, a person uh, has said, hey, the, the prayers of my mother changed my life. You could go on and on about the examples of that. And so I am saying that, uh, that, that there is that possibility, but we see that partnership in faith, and we see that partnership that they even passed it on to their children. You see that in, in that family. What a, what a wonderful family in all reality. I mean, what a great example to us. So we see the presence of faith. We see that partnership of faith, that they work together of that, on that. I want you to notice as well the prudence of their faith. Back in our text, we see the Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. I got two things under prudence of faith, and that's seeing God's way. And I mentioned that this morning, that that life is, is so important to God. And the sanctity of life. And they chose not to kill their child because they believed in God and that was seeing God's way, but not only seeing God's way, but also uh, seeing God's will for that child. When they looked at that child, uh, I believe that, hey, the Bible says that they saw he was a proper child. What mother doesn't look at their child and say, that child's beautiful? Every mother says that. I don't care if they're ugly. Don't ever tell the mother that. Buddy, you, you talk about foolish. That would be foolish, all right? I'm sure there's a proverb about that. I think it's like um, uh, that, that would be upsetting the, the, the bear and the whelps. I mean, uh, the bear with its whelps. I mean, you just, don't, you, you just don't do that. But every mother thinks their child's beautiful. But I think this points out, it says it twice. It says it in the book of Exodus. It says it in the book of Hebrews. I think it was a little more than that, that they, that God had showed them, listen, I've got a plan for this young man's life. And I want to use him. And they saw that he was a proper child. Listen, God can do that. What about um, uh, Samson that was revealed to his parents before he was born and said, hey, listen, this young man is going to be a Nazarite from the day he is born and his mother was instructed, do not eat any grape juice and you have to live by the Nazarite vow because the child that you're carrying is going to be a Nazarite and he's set apart, he's sanctified for God's use. 
So I think they looked at, jo- that, at Moses and they said, you know what? God's going to use this, this, this young man. They were concerned for God's will in this man's, in, in Moses' life and for their children's life. By the way, they were not seeking what, what God, or they were seeking what God wanted in their life. They were not seeking what they thought was best. Faith is not always what is best in our eyes. Sometimes we look at stuff, we say, man, that's not the best solution. Sometimes I look at my life and I say, that's not the best solution. Sometimes I look at it and I think, you know, leaving for Peru and going living in Peru. I knew that's where God wanted me. And I didn't think for a minute, well, that's not the the best solution for my family. I, I knew that's what God wanted. And if that's what God wanted, then that is what's best for your family. But other people would look at us and say, man, is it safe? Is that what's best for your children? I don't know what's best for your children, but I can tell you this, being in the center of God's will is what is best for your family. Sometimes we look at stuff and we say, I don't know if I could put my my kids out there. Listen, the Bible says this, Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel, wise. You've got to hearken unto God. We've got to listen. The end of the book of Judges, it says it several times. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And they messed up time and time and time again. And I'm just saying that we need to be concerned with what God's will is for our life and for our children. That's the prudence of their faith. They had prudence in their life. Not only that, but I want you to notice the priority of their faith. The Bible says this, that he was hid for three months. I I touched on this this morning. I won't reiterate all of that. But I just say this, that they had to go around. And again, I don't know if there uh, there there were Egyptian police wandering the street or going from house to house and checking, hey, uh, you know, did, did you have, do you have a baby boy here? I don't know what they were doing. But the Bible does specify two times that, that the child was hid, meaning that they had to go through some effort to keep that child hid. It's, it wouldn't be hard to keep a newborn baby in your house for three months. That would actually be fairly easy, especially given 2020. We kind of know what it's like to stay in our house. They didn't have Uber Eats. They didn't have uh, those things. But, uh, but you know, I, I think they could get around that and send one out to market to go get stuff and, and the, the child would stay home. I, I don't think it would have been difficult. That's why I think they had to put some more effort into it. And perhaps the, the, the Egyptians were coming by and looking for babies. I don't know. But the Bible tells us that they hid the child. They went through effort and it was a priority to them that they were going to follow God over whatever man said. Sometimes following God is not easy and sometimes doing what God wants us to do costs us a price and it's not always easy. Uh, I put a high priority on the family uh, but but faith has to be even more important than family and don't use faith to neglect your family responsibilities, but don't use your family to neglect your faith responsibilities either. So many people say, well, you know, uh, and even churches, you know, we're going we're gonna to cancel church and, and, and you can have family time. Listen to me, I think the greatest time you can have with your family is sitting in church. There's not a better opportunity. 
I love, I remember when I was a child and my dad was, uh, was a little bit cautious some, some places because, uh, man, they had something going on every time. And I remember my dad saying, hey, I want to set in church with my family, setting in my row. And I think there's value to setting in church with your children, being in church. And I'm just saying there was a priority of their faith. Uh, our good friend, brother, um, down there in West Virginia, his name escapes from my mind, the evangelist has a podcast, 20 minutes, Scott Pauley. Um, he, he, uh, he said this, I've heard him say it several times. We all want the product. In other words, we want what is produced, other, but we don't want to pay the price to get what produces the product. In other words, you like green vegetables, some of you. You like tomatoes. You like onions. You like corn. You like those things. But you don't want to have a garden in your yard because the amount of work that it takes to upkeep a garden to get that fruit, and the, or vegetables rather, not fruit. In other words, we don't want to pay the price to get the product. We'd rather uh, take our money and go down and, to, to Walmart and buy it and, and spend our money that way. And there's a great truth to that. In Christianity, there are no corners that can be cut to get to a viable product of God. You have to do the work. You have to pay the price. And these guys prioritized their faith in God. How do I know that? They were mentioned in Hebrews chapter number 11 in the hall of faith. And their faith was a priority. Lastly, I want you to notice this in verse number 23. I love this last phrase. And the Bible says, And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I want you to notice the peace of their faith. Hey, there's something about trusting in God that just gives you a peace that you cannot provide for your own life. There's a faith there that provides the peace. Go with me to Philippians chapter number 4. I want you to see this. Philippians chapter number 4. We're talking about a family of faith. We see the peace of their faith. that They weren't fearful of that king. Oh, they were in disobedience, yes. But they didn't live in fear. They lived in, in, in complete peace because of the faith. Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 6, the Bible says this, and I love verse number 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In verse number 6, he's saying, hey, you don't have to worry about anything. You can always go to God and you can pray about everything. I've already told you in the past, I'll tell you again, that I, I like to worry. My flesh does. And I was, I was staying somewhere and I was worrying about something. I was having trouble and, and, uh, and I was trying to figure out how am I going to get this thing done. And, and, uh, and I, I was at my wit's end. I was like, man, I can't do this and I can't do that. And, and I was staying at a, a mission's house and, and I, I walked in the room. And when I walked in the room, I looked up on the room, uh, on the wall, and on the wall was a sign that said, why worry when you can pray? And I thought, well, there's my answer. 
I've been trying to figure out how I can do this and do that and get everything done and I can't get everything done and I don't know how to make it happen and I've tried all my, my wisdom and I have no answer and there's the answer and that's a biblical answer because he says right here, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Go on with me to verse number 7 and it's, then he says, and that is conjoining those two thoughts. When you pray and when you make your request to God, then verse number seven, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I like that, verse number 7, that the peace of God which passeth all understanding, hey, that's coupled with prayer. That's coupled with believing in God. That's coupled with turning over your problems to God and saying, God, I can't make this happen, but you can, and I'm trusting in you, and I'm going to let you handle it because I cannot. Then, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think the thought continues on through verse number 8. Look with me in verse number 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So he first says, pray and turn it over to God, and then you'll have the peace of God in your life. And then he goes on in verse number 8, and he says, hey, if it's good, if it's just, if it's lovely, if it's pure, think on these things. In other words, don't continue to worry and fret about something that you've turned over to God, but let God handle it. And go on with me to verse number 9, and he says this, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Hey, listen. He wants us to have peace. And sometimes we're placed like Jochbed and Aram in a hard place that, that really ties our hands and leaves us no option but to go against the grain and go against what everyone else is doing and go against society and say, I'm not going to fall in line with wickedness, but I'm going to stand against all of that stuff and I'm going to trust that God is going to help me. We see that the Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty three, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Why? I think God gave them peace in their heart because they were trusting and doing what God wanted them to do. Listen, when, when we trust in God and we put our faith in God and our faith is displayed, it's something that we live. It's not just something that we're talking about. It's not just something that we're saying, well, I believe in God. No, it's something that we are living out in our life and we will have hardship and we will have troubles. But you know what? We can go to God and make our prayer requests made known to Him and then every time your mind tries to bring those back up and say, well, what about this or what about that or all the other problems, you can set them aside and say, you know what? I turned it over to God. And there's a peace that goes with all of that. And he says, you know what? I will take care of it. There's a peace 
that goes with our faith. Listen, I don't know about you, but I can tell you that a lot of families in America in 2020, they don't have peace. They don't know what peace is. Matter of fact, the, the, the lar- you know what's sad today? The largest call to the police departments are domestic disputes. That's not peace. They're having to deal with that time and time and time again. And people need the Lord. People need to know that Jesus Christ can save them, change their life, and that He can provide peace in their life if they'll follow His plan. Well, there's a price with it, yes. We want the product, but we don't want to pay the price. We have to be prioritize our faith, prudence of our faith, the presence of our faith, uh, all, all of those things that we looked at, the partnership uh, of faith. And, and I'm just telling you that, that, listen, there's a peace that comes when we follow God with our life. And I hope that you have that tonight. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you just want to thank the Lord for the peace, the prudence, or even the presence of faith. Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us. God, how our families need to unify in their faith, prioritize their faith, have prudence in their faith. God, yes, there's a price to pay. Oh, but God, as that song says that we sing, it will be worth it all when we see your face. God, I pray that you'd strengthen each and every Christian that's here. God, I thank you for their faith. I thank you for the peace that they have in their homes. God, thank We're so grateful. We're so thankful to you for the peace that you offer. And God, that our faith can truly rest in you. God, I pray that you'd bless and encourage each and every person that's here tonight. Thank you for their faithfulness. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to thank Him tonight and say, God, thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. God, thank you for the faith of my parents. God, thank you for, for being a part of my life. Whatever the need, the altar's open.
bring our invitation to a close. And I appreciate your faithfulness in the house of the Lord. And hope and pray that that.